by faith, Hebrews chapter 11, and reading from verses 1 to 12. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was com commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he could later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening. And let's pray for God's help as we look at his word together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess afresh tonight that we are convinced your word is truth and that it is true for each one of us in our lives today. Please help us to understand what this truth means for us tonight. Help us to be people who can stand on this truth as a firm anchor in our lives, that we may be people who increasingly live for you and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last year I had the pleasure of joining our young people on the Sega weekend away. Uh, it was a great time, but you, you can imagine my anxiety when I was told that this Saturday morning activity was to go surfing in the icy waters off the North Devon coast. And 
you can imagine how my anxiety increased when the instructors told us that on the morning the waves were just about as big as they ever get down in Devon. So I was um, completely petrified by the thought of going surfing. Uh, you'll be glad to know that I survived. It's okay. And I think everyone else in the Sago team also survived. Um, but the one thing that struck me whilst out in those massive waves off the North Devon coast, uh, apart from the big waves, um, was how easy it was to drift along the beach while you're surfing. Uh, our instructors had set up a, a square, a, a sort of safety square off the beach where we should stay, where, where the water was safe, and they could watch us. But it was amazing how quickly, if you're out surfing and you're dodging the, the, the waves and trying to stand on your board, how quickly after a few moments you could be dragged along the beach, you could drift away from safety, drift away from the help of others. The danger of drifting. We are starting a, a new series over the summer here at the Six, looking at uh, mainly Hebrews 11 and the great danger which runs through the book of Hebrews is the danger of drifting. Not drifting along a sandy beach when you're surfing, but, but a far greater danger than that, which is to say the danger of drifting spiritually, of drifting away from Jesus, of drifting away from our confidence in the gospel. And of course, the thing about drifting is that it is so hard to tell that you are drifting. Just as when you're surfing and you're preoccupied with dodging the waves and trying to get on your surfboard, and, and before you know it, you, you've drifted so too in life, in the busyness of everyday life, making sure that we survive the wind and waves of our lives. It is so easy to drift and to not even notice that we've drifted. And so the author of the letter to the Hebrews writes to warn his readers about the danger of drifting spiritually, to help them see when they are drifting and to help them to come back if they have drifted. So Hebrews 11 is a, a call to stand strong, to not drift spiritually. As we look at some of the great heroes of the faith over the next six weeks or so, we get an insight into how God's people can and should stand strong. Uh, these early Christians in the book of Hebrews were, were experiencing all kinds of persecution and suffering and trials, and uh, they were battling guilt and their sin, and they were being tempted to drift in all kinds of ways. And yet Hebrews 11 comes as a rock to help them not drift. And so to us tonight, it is here to help us stand strong in our faith and not to drift. So chapter 11 is the great antidote to spiritual drifting. And the key word that comes up again and again in this chapter is surely the word faith. It's repeated almost every verse in the opening uh, verses of chapter 11. Faith is the, is the key strategy, the, the key antidote to God's people drifting from God. And so this chapter is a wonderful call to, to rebuild and strengthen our faith in God. But I guess the obvious question as we begin our series and as we look at tonight's passage is this. What is faith? It's all very well to say that faith is the great antidote to God's people drifting. 
But, but what is faith? Because so often when we drift, it's because uh, we're doubting God and our faith is weak. So how can we say that faith is the antidote to drifting? How can faith be a rock under our feet? And as we begin our series, it's worth being aware that there are some confusions out there about what faith is in the Bible. So for some of us, faith um, can be a bit like hope. I heard, a, I heard a Scotsman being interviewed on the TV last night, and uh, he was saying that he was very hopeful that Andy Murray would win the tennis. In fact, he was so hopeful that he was confident that Andy Murray would win the tennis. But of course, that sort of hope is a sort of sentimental wishing that future events will turn out the way that we want them to. It's not confidence, it's just hope. And for some of us, Christian faith can be a bit like that sentimental view of the future. I I really hope things go the way I want them to. That is one view of faith that can slosh around, I think, in our minds. Another view is this. Benjamin Franklin once said this. The way to see by faith is to shut the eye of reason. The way to see by faith is to shut the eye of reason. In other words, faith is a leap into the dark. It is a sort of fingers crossed, I really hope that this will happen, but I have no evidence to believe that it will. And I think increasingly in our culture, we are told to only trust things that we can see. And we are shying away from the fact, the idea of faith. We're told that faith is a blind leap in the dark. It is not based on reason. It is simply wishful thinking. And again, if that is our view of faith, then it's very hard to see how faith is the great antidote to drifting away. So as we begin our series looking at Hebrews 11, we need to acknowledge the very real danger for each one of us of spiritual drift. And I hope over the summer we will get some great help as we seek not to drift. But also we need to understand what faith is, to understand how faith needs to work in our lives if we are to avoid drift. So as we begin our series looking at Hebrews 11, we have a chance to think more about what faith is in terms of how the Bible describes faith. And I've got three points tonight in these opening verses about faith. Three insights, I hope, into faith. The first is this. this. Faith is confidence in God's promises. Faith is confidence in God's promises. Look down with me at verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In other words, faith is being sure. It is, it is being certain. It is not wishful thinking. It is not fingers crossed, I hope the future will turn out okay. It is not uh, like saying that I hope it won't rain on Wednesday when we have the, um, the Oxford Church's golf day when I'm playing and I hope it doesn't rain. But, but that is not faith because that is uncertain. Faith is certainty, confidence. It is objective. But hang on, you might say. How can we have... Certainty, how can we be sure about, as verse 1 says, 
what we cannot see. Well, the rest of Hebrews 11 goes on to tell us how this works. So verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. In other words, uh, the kind of faith happening in verse 1 has been demonstrated by the ancients. We can look at the Old Testament and see men and women of God living their lives. And as we look at them, we see what verse 1 means in practice. It explains how faith works. And I think one of the great examples of faith in this passage is, is Abraham. So I wonder if we can glance forward to verse 11 to see how faith works in Abraham's life. So verse 11, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promises. So let's just uh, work this through. Uh, For Abraham, if you know the story, uh, what was seen was that he was childless. He had no child. That was the reality in front of him. Yet by faith, he looked forward to the future that was unseen, and that future was a son. Now, how did Abraham look forward with confidence to the future? The answer we are told in verse 11 is that he was confident in God's promise. He trusted what God said about the future, and that gave him a present confidence about a future event. And so I've said faith is confidence in God's promises. Let me try to explain. Uh, Imagine you've got a friend, and uh, for many years you've met up with this friend every Monday for a drink. At the same time, in the same place, week in, week out, uh, month in, month out. The friend has always been there. Uh, They've never been late. They've always shown up, as they've said, at the right time, at the right place for years. And just imagine uh, it's Sunday evening and you get a text from this friend and they said, fancy being up for a drink, uh, same time, same place tomorrow as usual. Do you go to meet your friend at that coffee shop? Do you make the effort to stand outside that coffee shop and wait for your friend? Or do you go, hmm, I'm not sure if I can trust that they will turn up. I'm not sure if they will be there. You have, you have a decision to make. Do you trust their promise about the future, or do you hang back and not trust them? Of course you go, don't you? Of course, that's how we work as humans. If our friend's been there week in, week out, and they've always been faithful, well, we we trust them for the next step in the future, even though we can't see them at the coffee shop yet. We believe on the Sunday night they will be there on the Monday, and so we go on the Monday. Now, that is an act of faith to actually turn up at the coffee shop But it is a faith based on confidence in the promise of the one you're going to see. It is based on a proven track record over many months and years. And so too with our faith in God's promises. Faith is a confidence that God has been faithful in the past. In fact, uh, this book, the Bible, is full of centuries of God being faithful to his people again and again. And if he's been faithful in the past, time and again, well, faith says we can be confident in his promises for the future. Even though we can't see his, the future, we can be confident he will be faithful 
because he always has been. And so I hope you can see that faith is not a leap in the dark. Just as it is not a leap in the dark to meet your friend at the coffee shop. Because we have brilliant evidence that they will be there. They've been there for us again and again. And so too God with his people. To put our lives in the hands of God is not a leap in the dark. It is a confidence in God's promises that has been proven time and again. Faith is confidence in God's promises. So how can faith stop us from drifting away in our everyday lives? Um, Let me try to give you a, a worked example to help us maybe when we're in the office tomorrow morning. We're told in verse 10 that Abraham was looking forward to the city without foundations. It's like with foundations, who architect and builder is God. And the commentators agree that this city was in fact the new Jerusalem that is yet to come. So I want us just to look forward ourselves to the new Jerusalem. Let's take a promise that God gives us about our future. I take this promise from Revelation 21 verse 4. I mean, the, the Bible is full of promises. I've just chosen this one. Revelation 21 verse 4 says this about our future. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is a promise that the Bible makes from God about our future. Now, we don't yet see that future because we do cry, don't we? Each one of us will cry in this life because of the suffering and persecution and because of our sin. So we have a promise we cannot yet see. But faith says to us, we can trust God's promises for the future. There will be a day when we no longer cry, where all the pain is wiped away, where we have life as God intended it. So which means... Tomorrow morning in the office, if our colleagues are slagging us off for being Christians, giving us a hard time, we can bring that promise to mind. That yes, there will be tears in this life, but a day is coming when there are no tears. And it's a a rock under our feet. Or imagine we get our exam results back in a a few weeks' time. I'm sorry to mention exams, but uh, the results are coming. And the results are not what we hoped for. Maybe they're tears. But there is a day coming when our exam results will count for very little. We will not mind an awful lot about what we got in our exams. For on that day we will be with our creator and every tear will be wiped from our eyes. That is a future worth living for. It is a future which gives us a rock to stand on now in the storms of our exams. Faith is confidence in God's promises. That's the first lesson of faith. And I should say that is the longest point tonight, so do not fear, we'll speed up as we go through the next two points. Secondly, faith is essential for God's people. It is essential for God's people. Uh, We come now to two rather perplexing Old Testament stories as we work through Hebrews 11, the, the, the stories concerning Cain and Abel and also Enoch. Uh, we know very little about uh, these two episodes in Old Testament history, 
just a few verses from the beginning of Genesis. And it can be quite difficult to work out what's going on with these two accounts. But I think the key verse which unlocks the meaning for us tonight is there in verse 6 of Hebrews 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so I think for the writer of the Hebrews, uh, Enoch was a man who, who pleased God uh, because he had faith. And that, I think, is why we're told that uh, he was taken uh, from this life by God. A man who pleased God because he had faith in God. But I think this point applies also to Abel and Cain. I think we're meant to see that Abel was a man who uh, pleased God. We're we're told that um, in verse 4, God spoke well of his offering. It seems God was pleased with Abel, which must mean that Abel had faith. Because we're told in verse 6, you can't please God without faith. So I think the implication is Abel came to God with his sacrifice in an attitude of faith. And the implication is that Cain did not come with faith. And that is why I've said faith is essential for God's people. And I think the real shock for each one of us tonight is this. On the surface, Cain and Abel were two brothers who looked very similar. Uh, They were both hardworking. They both had built up uh, uh, livestock and crops. They had been industrious. Uh, Both brought the first fruits of that hard work to God both made costly sacrifices to God. So on the surface, two people who looked very similar, and yet one, we're told, was pleasing to God, and one, we assume, was not. And the shock for us is that two people can be sitting here at church looking very similar, uh, doing similar things, if you like, offering similar sacrifices, Uh, serving God, being involved at church, being busy and industrious. And yet, for those two people, it is possible for one to be pleasing to God and the other not. And the key difference is our faith. That attitude which says to God, I I come to you empty-handed, trusting in your promises. We're coming tonight to share together the Lord's Supper. A reminder of the fact that we come empty-handed to the cross and receive their forgiveness and life. Which means that Christian busyness, uh, cr- Christian activism, is never a substitute for faith. I think this is a particular danger for us if we've been a Christian for a while. Uh, we get into routines of service and, and we can think that our service is a, is a sacrifice pleasing to God. But without faith... It is not, and it cannot. Faith is essential for God's people, which means that if we are tempted to drift away from our trust in Jesus, we must remember that nothing we can do, our busyness, our activism, cannot make us right with God. We must not drift away from Jesus and that simple yet profound faith in him. Faith is essential for God's people. Lastly, Faith brings obedience to God's plan. 
surely one of the greatest examples of obedience in the Bible is found in the story of Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah is a great example of faith because when God's promise came to him, there was no visible indication of the threat of the flood. It was unseen. And yet he acted in obedience. He trusted God's promise, but that trust transformed how he lived. And so he went about building an ark, even though he was mocked by his friends and family. He didn't just believe the promise, he acted, which means faith must bring obedience to God's plan. And we see a similar point with Abraham. Again, at verse 8, we read, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Do you see the same principle? A word from God, a promise about the future, which leads to an obedient action. Faith brings obedience to God's plan. And I think we need to hear this because we live in a world where uh, most people do not go God's way and where it takes real faith to choose to live for God and not to live the way of the world. And so it takes faith to believe that when, for example, God says that sex is only to be had between a man and a woman in the context of a lifelong committed relationship of marriage. It takes real faith to say, I'm going to believe that promise that that is the best way to live and I'm going to live that out in practice. It takes faith because the world is screaming at us. Go for it. It'll feel good. You'll be fulfilled if you do it. Uh, You won't know until you try. But if we trust God's promises, if we have faith in his promises, we will obey him. We will obey him when it comes to our money, when, when God says that the best way to be happy and content is to make sure that money is not our idol. Or it takes faith to believe that uh, we shouldn't get drunk when the rest of our office is getting drunk at the office party. Faith brings obedience to God's plan. And I think there is a further implication which we need to hear tonight, which is that if we are dabbling in a lifestyle of persistent disobedience, if we are being stubborn and willful over a particular area of our life, then we need to be aware that that can erode our faith in God. I think it goes both ways. I think of a friend of mine at school who was a keen Christian. We helped to lead the Christian union together at school. And he was, he was open about his faith to his friends. And then one year, he started dating a girl. A few months later, he confided in me that they'd started to sleep together. Uh, he knew it wasn't right, but he was doing it. After the summer holidays, he came back to school, and he told me that he was now no longer a Christian, that he was nowhere with his faith. And as I reflected on his example, it seemed clear to me that his faith had been eroded by his 
disobedience, that he had chosen to disobey God, and that had had big impact on his faith. So we need to be aware, faith uh, brings obedience to God's plan. We must not be careless with how we live. Don't mishear me. Each one of us is only saved by the cross, by Jesus, not by our obedience. But we must not be those who dabble in a lifestyle of prolonged, stubborn disobedience. I want to finish with a quote which I came across this week from a friend who wrote me a prayer letter. Uh, This is a friend who is living in Austria and about to uh, move cities. Uh, They are, I guess, a mission partner and I've been trying to pray for them over the years. And as they're about to move cities, they confess to being daunted by what lay ahead of them, scared by the unknowns. They don't have accommodation yet. They don't have a, a fixed salary yet in this new city. So it was a letter of honesty, uh, scared about the future and asking for prayer. But the letter ended with what I thought was a brilliant quote which summed up Hebrews 11 which I think captured the heart of faith, which I hope that each one of us can leave with tonight. It is a quote they took from Corey Ten Boom, and the quote is this. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, the Bible, which gives us countless accounts of your unfailing faithfulness to your people throughout history. We thank you that we can be utterly confident of your character and trustworthiness. Help us to be those who continue to trust your promises to us about our future so that our faith may be rock solid in the storms and currents which come our way in this world. Help us to go your way and so be people who remain unshaken in our faith. We pray this for your glory. Amen.